Welcome to Inflection Point, the path to IPO, an exploration of technology investing trends across private and public markets. Tech investing has been highly specialized in both the public and private spheres, employing different skill sets and strategies depending on stage, sector, and capital structure. As the investing ecosystem grows and matures, new approaches have begun to blur the lines between seed, early stage, venture, growth rounds, and public markets. A crossover investor is a fund that builds a bridge between private equity and public markets. It operates concurrently on both sides, private and public, and in some cases, perhaps most critically, can serve as a cornerstone in the transition from one side to the other. This strategy has propagated globally with subtle distinctions based on region, risk appetite, and ecosystem rigor. We explore these fundamental market shifts in our written report, which will be released with the final episode of this podcast. During our research, we had the opportunity to interview various thought leaders to get their perspective on these dynamics. Though we include some of the key commentary in our written report, we decided there was tremendous value in sharing the audio recordings with you, the listener, to provide an intimate look through the lens of people operating day in and day out in this space. The first six episodes will feature startup founders and executives sharing their perspective on the path to IPO. In the final episode, you'll hear from industry-leading bankers and investors outlining the best practices they've developed through years of experience overseeing the process. We hope you find these conversations thought-provoking and insightful. This podcast was produced by Revaya, an ESG-focused global growth equity investor headquartered in Europe with offices in Paris and Berlin. The following is not intended as financial advice, and Revaya and guests may hold positions in some of the companies referenced during the show. Vincent Huguet is the co-founder and CEO of French startup Malt, a digital freelancer marketplace aiming to build the new work order. With nearly half a million freelancers on the platform, Malt works to match them with projects posted by over 50,000 companies, all while easing the administrative, legal, and invoice management burden incurred by independents. In 2021, Malt raised an $80 million Series C with Eurasiao and Goldman Sachs Growth, putting their lifetime total at around $134 million. Prior to Malt, Vincent spent much of his early career in e-commerce. He currently serves as a board member for France Digital, Europe's premier startup association and lobbying organization. During this conversation, we discuss Europe's fragmented IPO market, the power of communication, and the benefits of ecosystem development. Without further delay, I bring you Vincent Huguet. Vincent, uh, let's get right into it. Um, thanks again for joining. I uh, wanted to ask you a few questions around kind of the crossover uh, investor category. This is something that's kind of near and dear to our hearts here at Revaya. Uh, so I'm going to start off with a, a couple, you know, basic uh, basic questions. The the first is, have you ever participated in an IPO process before? No, I haven't. Uh, I'm trying to think. I've been in, in bigger companies uh, in the beginning of my career, but it was already sure. public. Uh, okay. And then I worked for, for smaller companies, so no, not at all. Okay. 
So, you know, based on that question, how would you scale your level of familiarity with the path to IPO or the IPO process from, from one to 10? One meaning you have absolutely no idea how this works and 10 being you could do this in your sleep. <laughs> I wish. Uh, I, I, I would <laughs> say four, you know. Uh, so, so. Okay. But, but, but I, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we we, we want to prepare for it, but we want to be conscious that, you know, I'm always like uh, doing step by step, you know, in, in terms of ambition. So I think it's good to have the, the end game as a view, but then we know we have still a lot of steps towards there. So now we're focusing on the next two, three years and for us, it's not IPO yet. Sure. So it, it sounds like an IPO is somewhat relevant to your future, which was actually the, the next question. So um, obviously, you're, you're focusing on, on kind of near-term uh, challenges and, and solutions. Uh, how relevant is the IPO process? I mean, it, you know, is, is this a, a secondary, tertiary concern? Is this, is this something that comes up on a regular basis uh, as acting CEO? It starts to come and we start, you know, for instance, our CFO starts to get some training about it, things like that. Um, I think it's what's most important, as I said, is uh, for us, uh, and even since the beginning, it has been always like uh, maybe at the beginning a dream. Now it's something that's more reachable, uh, but it's been mm. always something that we thought was a good option of exit for us. I think it's obviously not the only one, but it's a good one if we want to stay, um, I would say, independent, you know, and, and, and provide the possibility of liquidity for our investors. Uh, be also uh, um, uh, in possibility of, of raising funds more easily, you know, and constantly. So mm -hmm. I think it's a good way, you know, and, and I think a, a company has to clearly, I can see, uh, I mean, I, I said four over ten, but I, I can still, I can already see how, how big the preparation needs to be. And in terms of everything, yeah. you know, hard skills, but also mindset. Uh, and I think there's a good thing about it, you know, that, that then, I mean, the difficulty of it, you know, being measured by quarter and things like that is also, I think, something good because you have as a company, as a CEO also to, to be better and better at communicating what you do and to uh, not only your direct investors, but, you know, like a, a smaller shareholders and everyone has to be clear about the value you bring to this market and how you're going to grow and how what is your market etc so i think it's a good i guess it's going to be a good exercise and at, at one point i wish it will be soon great so let's pivot uh quickly to the kind of crossover section of the interview um I, i'm curious prior to us meeting today how familiar were you with the term crossover investor uh, is this a, a category you're, you, you've heard of before or have heard discussed? Um, and if so, kind of how would you characterize a, a crossover investor? No, not so much because um, I guess when we talk to investors or the one we already have, we talk with one team, you know, of the, this investment, uh, this investor uh, uh, company. So um, we usually very siloed, you know. Um, but I think it's very interesting and the type of investor we're talking to now, yes, it can be um, a big plus, I would say, that these people, you know, are used to prepare companies for IPO or can really like uh, support them in going through, through that process. So, so it's, it's a plus, you know, really when you talk with that type of investors to, uh, to think about them as a, as a partner for us in the future. 
great. I'm curious among, I would imagine you spend a, a fair amount of your time with, with other founders and entrepreneurs in, in the ecosystem here in, in France and, and more broadly in Europe. Uh, among your peers, do you have a sense for the appetite for IPO? Do uh, most companies, uh, private held, privately held companies today, strive towards an IPO or is that uh, no longer as attractive as it once was, mm -hmm. perhaps? No, I think I think there's there's a lot of interest uh, now. To be to be honest, I think in particularly in Europe or France or everywhere. I think the, if you take in number of company or founders, you know, most of them are not at this stage. So there's just a few of, of them who can be at this stage. Um, and and yes, I think it's uh, it's something that people are getting more and more prepared or to starting to be prepared to. Um, the question also, I think, uh, is that, you know, at the same time the founders get prepared, I think the ecosystem in Europe gets prepared too, you know, because there was uh, the, 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 the perfect way, I would say, for a European company until now is to, to go to NASDAQ or to go to the US. But there's obviously other options in Europe, and I wish there can be a lot. Uh, but now, you know, uh, it's still a very fragmented um, topic in Europe, you know, you have different uh, places like Amsterdam, Paris, uh, Frankfurt, etc. So I, I think the ecosystem will also at the same time as the company grow on that, uh, will evolve and, and get better at maybe le being less fragmented. And hopefully I wish there would be uh, like a strong European place, you know, for, for, for IPOs for European companies. Great. So you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, be preparing uh, for, for, for going public and then once you are a public company, there's a, a lot of rigor and intensity involved, uh, some of which is around compliance, some communication. Uh, I, I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think the biggest obstacle is to reaching the IPO phase uh, and then perhaps being a public company? What, what, do, you, what do you envision being uh, one of the bigger challenges, especially as a, a leader at, at that company? So you mean before the IPO or just after the IPO? Actually, actually both. So the the biggest obstacle in you know achieving the 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 milestone, and then once you've mm -hmm. actually listed uh, what it, what it'll take to to be a successful yeah. public company leader. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think before and after again the the main topic is communication. You know, and how to communicate clearly what you do because. We used to talk to investors who can really deep dive. So even if they talk to many, they, they have different boards, if they are your investors or if they have soon to be investors, they are talking to a lot of companies, but not so much as the analysts, you know, who are following a IP, already IPO'd company. You know, I was talking to a, to a friend of mine, an analyst in, in, in the tech industry in London uh, for a big bank, and he was telling me he's maybe having a, I don't know, 100 calls every quarter. So even a company that he's supposed to know well, you know, every quarter he like uh, has to catch up, you know, what is this company doing again? What is the market? How big is the market? So he was telling me this, this very true, I think, and very easy advice in some ways, uh, very simple, but, but hard to do is uh, how to repeat and repeat and repeat on what you're doing and how what's your total addressable market and why it's big, why it's growing, etc. So uh, I think there's 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 a topic on on being very strong at be able to predict, you know, what are going to be your next quarter in terms of figures. So that's a bit like the hard skills. But in terms of soft skills, it's 
how to communicate well, to, uh, how to have the empathy almost to people who see all type of companies to understand what you do and, and be able to rephrase it all, uh, all the time, you know? Right. Gotcha. So what are you looking for in terms of support from your investors? Uh, you know, it, it sounds like you, you probably consult them on a, on a fairly regular basis. I know that, that Goldman Sachs is in your, your cap table. Uh, I would imagine they're fairly active in, in the discussions. Um, you know, how, what, what kind of support are you looking for? Uh, you know, how, how do you imagine they'll help you uh, achieve the, the, the milestone that we've been discussing? Yeah. Well, I, I've always seen the, the investors, you know, as, as some people, like, you know, around the board, you have different skills uh, by the type of funds and by personalities. And you have to, in some ways, give them some homework, depending on what they are good at. And obviously, on that topic, I think they can well introduce you to companies who have done that well, um, uh, banks or intermediaries that can help you to, to that process. But so I would say it's it's mostly mostly the connections, you know, that will be important in preparing you to that process and having the the right people to talk to 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 not make the the, the mistakes they have done in the past, maybe, or the good things that they have done also uh, to learn from them. Great. Well, I, I want to close out here with a, a few malt-specific questions. Uh, and this was kind of sourced from the team. I think uh, everyone here has varying degrees of familiarity with uh, with, with you and, and, and your business. Um, one uh, colleague of yours that was mentioned is Alex Freddy, the managing director. It sounds like he spent some time doing LBOs at his previous company. Is, is he actively involved in the conversation? Does having someone that's uh, been on the financing side of things at, at other companies uh, give you confidence or uh, you know kind of clear advice on on uh, decision making around uh, the next steps towards towards IPO yeah obviously uh, um, I mean what one learning you know that we and one thing that we have done you know I've started the company nine years ago is that you you don't have the same people you know managing teams at when you are 100 or 50 even or even less or when you are 500 so you need that type of people and i think the beautiful thing of the people we have and particularly alex is that when you have seen the story you know in one way or another and it was not in, in finance there it was like like it was in the part of business and and managing director of that company uh, you you've you yeah you've seen the you've seen the movie you know and 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 so so it's very important i think to project yourself on having the vision on what is necessary to go next you know so as a ceo uh, and as a founder you have to to surrender yourself with people who have seen that and who are better than you and have more knowledge in different topics so either you can i was i was telling you about our cfo going to some some training or groups talking about ipo so that's more technical but you need also people who have seen it in i would say in their flesh and more in the business sense of it yeah. Okay. So I, I want to talk about a, a, a somewhat sensitive subject, not for you, but for, for everyone in tech, which is the, the recent kind of compression in, uh, in, in private multiples. Um, as far as I know, Upwork, one of your competitors, went from a kind of a, a 20x multiple down to four. Uh, how does that shape kind of your perspective on the, on the market? Uh, do you think that's a, a fair, you know, compression of their, their valuation? 
Uh, do you think they'll bounce back? And you know, what, what is your general thinking uh, around what's what's happened recently? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're in a crazy moment for sure. I don't know if we are at the bottom yet or, or not, but I think things are... are the problem in that type of moment is that everyone is a bit in pause, you know, and, and not 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 knowing what is the next step in some ways. Uh, but I think there's a healthy part into it. Uh, we are going back to seeing not only, you know, compared to, you know, in theory comparables, but really going back to the intrinsic value of a company, their unit economics, their capacity of getting to profitability uh, in, in every market they are. And I think that's in some ways good for us because it's something we have been focusing on the last few years uh, we have a very high growth like almost triple digit growth year on year but we've had also a big work done on our unit economics margin EBITDA etc so we're quite comfortable in that after this pause you know we we'll, we are one of these companies that is um, emerging as a sometimes some kind of winner you know because there's still a lot of money to be deployed but probably investors will be uh, obviously more cautious in where to deploy it, you know, and to choose the right uh, the right companies for that. So we're comfortable with that idea. Uh, I think again, it's it's quite a healthy situation. Like we are really in a strange moment, but I think in a, in 12 months we will see it as a as a healthy moment. And 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 again, I think sometimes the the, the comparable thing is is is. It's complicated. You were mentioning competitors. Yes and no, they're not necessarily competitors of us. If you deep dive, um, we have a very different positioning, very different unit economics. And that's that's an interesting thing. I was seeing a tweet uh, today about, you know, comparison of eBay and, 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 and Amazon uh, 20 years ago. And they were, you know, valued the same and the same type of space. And they had very different trajectory after that, you know. So, so I think it's very important that investors, and it will be the same for for shareholders in IPO, to 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 check what is the intrinsic value of a company and how it can lead to very high profitability in the future. Hmm. Well, well, speaking of competitors, uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about indirect competitors. Uh, so, you know, kind of big big consulting firms like Capgemini or Accenture, for example. Uh, are, are publicly listed companies. Uh, although they're indirect competitors, they're also a much bigger and, like you mentioned, not, you know, not operating directly within your space, but uh, perhaps uh, could, could prove to be a, a substitute in some cases. D does that have any influence on your decision around taking a company public? I mean, uh, does, does their kind of indirect competition force you to position yourself differently and would it be useful to, to be public as a as a kind of a, a counter uh, to, to them or, or, or not at all? No, I think I think in that case uh, there can be competition but most of the time they are mostly partner uh, so we see it a bit differently. I think in general you know as a, as a founder as a manager I think it's you have to see competition as a some kind of a book you read and then you close that book and then you do your things. If you're like uh, uh, like uh, too uh, involved, you know, in the thinking about what is my competition doing, how much they're valued, what I think it's really really bad. You know, I think again you have to to focus on your customers, you have to focus on your community. In our case, the community of freelancers, how you bring value to them, how you deliver your mission, and 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 then you know how that translates to 
the growth you can have, the revenue you can have, and the profitability you can have. That's what you must be focusing at and not being, you know, uh, uh, um, diverted or uh, checking all the time your competition. I, I think it's I think it's bad, honestly. So I want to I want to move the uh, the opposite direction, and this is my my final question, by the way. Uh, from going public to actually taking companies private and kind of the M and A process. So I, I think you've been involved in some consolidation strategy or acquisitions previously. Uh, have you ever seen or considered uh, some of the the smaller listed players as potential target acquisitions and and taking them private and bringing them under the umbrella of Malt, or is uh, is, is that a strategy you've you've considered or reflected on? Why not? Why not? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it it's so important that it's uh, public or private. I think it's important again that the company brings value and adds value to your offer. Uh, it can be because of geographical expansion, it can be going to a new segment, whatever. Um, now we haven't seen, you know, uh, if I'm not wrong, any public, um, uh, comp you know, uh, target. Uh, but why not? You know, it could be. And, and, and again, I think uh, the, the most important is the intrinsic value of the of that company and how it brings value to yours. Thanks for joining us for this conversation with Vincent Huguet, the co-founder and CEO of Malt. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe and find new episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow along to gain exclusive access to the written report. See you next week for another episode of Inflection Point, Path to IPO. Thank you.